Welcome to Living Word Church. Let's hear from Pastor Ben as he teaches from the Gospel of John in our Eternal Word series. So I don't know about you, but I like privileges and I like access. I like to I like to have things that others don't have. Are, are, are you as selfish as I am from time to time? You know, like we like to get in the front of the line. We like to have first access. You know, like you, you remember when Black Friday used to be on Black Friday, and, but now they have Black Fridays the week before Black Friday. And, and we want to get the, the early deals and we want privilege. We want access. And I think that's normal for us as human beings in our selfishness that we like to be in particular seen with those that are famous. You guys been noticing that Taylor Swift is taking over the NFL? <laughs> Have you noticed that? Taylor Swift is taking over the NFL. We were watching a Chiefs game. She's been dating Travis Kelsey, the tight end of the Kansas City Chiefs. And we were watching the Chiefs game one afternoon, and uh, uh, Travis Kelsey made a catch. And it was a good play. And I said, hey, guys, look, we're about to have a Taylor Swift sighting. Anytime Travis Kelsey touches the ball or is talked about, they're going to pan to see the suite where Taylor Swift is at. And sure enough, the camera went, and there's Taylor Swift with her bright red lipstick. And, and who's next to her? Well, Trav, uh, um, Travis uh, Travis Kelsey's mom and family, and then you've got Patrick Mahomes' wife is right there, and you've got other family members and friends who we don't really know. But you know what I thought about? People want to be around Taylor Swift for what it does to them and for them. They want the access. They want to be seen. They know the camera's going to pan. They know, and so if they can be next to Taylor Swift, if they can have that privilege and that access, that is something that, that, they, that they want, that they, that they desire. When you think, of, I thought about Patrick Mahomes' wife. Patrick Mahomes, he's worth over two or three hundred million dollars. They have all the privilege that they could want, all the access that, that, that they could want, but there's something about the next level star, stardom of Taylor Swift, and she has raised their star because she is there. Access, privilege. You know, the truth is that as believers, we have access and we have privileges, and, and there are privileges that come to us because of who we are in Christ. So much greater than anything we could ever get from Taylor Swift, right? And what we're going to look at today when we look in the Gospel of John, we're starting back in John 17. It's probably one of the most beautiful sections of Scripture in the entire Bible. And, and the heart of what we're going to look at today is the privileges that we have in Christ. And you know, John 17, uh, many theologians call it the Holy of Holies of Scripture, and why do they call it the Holy of Holies of Scripture? Because we get a glimpse into the inner Trinitarian prayer of Jesus, where the Son is praying to the Father. What an amazing picture. And there are so many things. I've looked through commentaries, and I've looked at what other pastors have done as they've gone through John 17. And, and one pastor I looked at, he did nine weeks on John 17. And I thought, well... We've already been in the Gospel of John for almost two years. I don't think I'm going to do nine weeks on John 17, but we're going to do two weeks on John 17. But what, what I know is true in John 17 is that there are so many things that, that we, we cannot cover, so many things we, we could be here forever in the Gospel in, in, of John chapter 17. There's so many things to cover. But I want us to get a little bit of context before we jump into John 17. What were the last words that we read 
from Jesus. We were in the upper room discourse. It was John 16. Let's read the last section. This was the last section of Scripture I covered in John chapter 16 before we took our pause for our holiday series. Jesus says, Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And so what is Jesus doing here? It's the upper room discourse. It's right before his arrest, his betrayal, arrest, and crucifixion. And Jesus is, is, is preparing, trying to prepare these disciples in the upper room for what is about to take place. The pressure in their life is going to amp up. And what is so beautiful about this picture is that Jesus, as soon as these words are done, he begins to pray for his disciples. He begins to pray for those that are in the room with him. He begins to pray because he knows what they're about to walk through. And he has a, a love. These are his beloved disciples. And, and there's, there's really, it's really two emphases that we're going to see in John 17. One of them is that, is that Jesus is praying for those disciples that are in the room with him, including Judas that's there about to betray him. But then Later on next week, we're going to see that he is praying not only for them, but for all those who would believe through them. And so he's praying for us. He's praying for them, but then he's praying for us. And so two weeks in John 17, as we walk through the Gospel of John, today we're going to look at the privileges we have in Christ, and next week we're going to look at the prayers that Christ prayed for his own. The prayers that Christ prayed for his own. J.C. Ryle rightly says about John 17, he that reads the words spoken by one person of the blessed Trinity to another person by the Son to the Father must surely be prepared to find much that he cannot fully comprehend. And we're going to work through this prayer. We're going to look at the prayers that Jesus prayed for his own. We're going to look at the privileges this week of those who are in Christ. So I see three privileges for those who are in Christ through this prayer that Jesus is praying. Three privileges. You know, in Christ, here's a privilege that we have in Christ. We have been born again. We have eternal life. In Christ, we have eternal life. Look to our text in John 17, the first five verses. When Jesus had spoken these words, when he had spoken the words to his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. When he spoken these words, he lifted his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that, you, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Wow. What a start to the prayer. Jesus finishes talking. I just love this. This is a little side note, a little extra, a little bonus for you. I just love this picture of our Savior, his compassion. He finishes talking. He finishes preparing. And what does he do? What does he do? He knows the pressure hours from now that is about to take place and the pressure they're going to have on their, so on their shoulders because of the fact that he is going to be arrested and they're not going to understand it. He's going to be, be beaten and they're not going to understand it. He's going to be thrown onto a cross and they're not going to understand it. And what does he do after he tries to warn them and prepare them? He prays for them. He stops and he begins to intercede for them. Where, where was he when he was praying? I don't know. Some people think that it was right in the upper room. He just breaks out into a prayer. Some people think, 
think it was while he was walking to the Garden of Gethsemane that he began to pray. But either way, he begins to pray for his disciples. He warns them, it's going to get hard. He warns them, hey, it's going to get hard. The world's going to beat you up. Tribulation is coming. He warned his disciples of that. The world, he, he said, listen, the world has hated me and they're going to hate you. That was an earlier part of the Upper Room Discourse in John 15. Don't, don't, don't think that a servant is greater than his master. If they hated me, they will hate you. And Jesus lifts his eyes after this. He begins to pray. And what does he start with in his prayer? Notice what he started with. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that you that the Son may glorify you. Father, the hour has come. What does he mean, the hour has come? It's the hour of his death. The time of redemption as a hand. The time for him to carry upon himself the sins of humanity. The time has come. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Jesus is pointing in his prayer to the cross. He's beginning with redemption in His prayer. The glory that the Father would receive through the obedience of the Son. And notice, notice what He says after. He says, and this is eternal life. This is eternal life. You don't know what eternal life is? That they know You, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom You have sent. So Jesus starts His prayer. He starts His prayer by pointing to the purpose behind why he came. Jesus did not come just to be a good teacher. He didn't come just to be a, a, compassionate, a, a compassionate servant. He didn't come just to work miracles. He didn't come just to feed the 5,000. He didn't come just to have influence within the region of Judea. He came to be a Savior. He came to die. And in this prayer, right after he warns his disciples about the pressure that's about to come and the courage they need to have because of of him, he begins to pray. And in that prayer, he points to that reality. The Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son. My, my time is now. But notice, notice what he says. I think this is interesting for us to ponder here. He says, he says, they know you. He says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. What is he doing here? He is affirming that there is only one true God. He's affirming that there's only one true God. I think this is difficult for us in our world today to affirm there is one true God. He's affirming there's only one true God, Yahweh, and that Jesus is his son that was sent to grant eternal life. So this is the first privilege that Jesus talks about. It's eternal life. It's the first privilege he's praying about for all those who are in Christ, that they can have eternal life through being born again by faith in the work that he is about to accomplish. Jesus and eternal life. Jesus and salvation, they are inseparably linked. Now look at, look at John's little epistle to see this as well. 1 John chapter 5. Listen to this. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. This is the God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his, in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. It's a privilege that we have in Christ is that we are born again and we have eternal life. Amen? This is not it. This is not the end for us. 
We have eternal, we have eternal life in us. We have the life of Christ in us. We have eternal, this physical body may die, but our spirit is eternal, and we have eternal life in us because of our faith in Jesus Christ. This is the first privilege that we can see when we hear Christ pray to the Father. You are the only true God, and I am your son that you have sent, and it's through you that we have eternal life. Whoever, listen, whoever has a son has life. No son, no life. No son, no life. There's only one true God and only one way to salvation. Some will say they don't like this exclusive pri- privilege. You know, privileges are exclusive, are they not? Some people say, well, I, I don't like that exclusivity. I don't like that idea that there's only one way. I think it's interesting that Jesus affirmed there's only one true God and he is his and Jesus is the son who came to accomplish salvation and give eternal life to those who would, who would believe in him. And that's an exclusive message and some don't like that. It's not inclusive enough. It's not loving. The idea is that all roads lead to the same destination. That's the cultural perspective that we have and, and in the prayer that Jesus prayed in front of his disciples, he says there's only one true God and he is his son. And this is the path to eternal life. There's, there's not multiple ways. And, and that's not popular in our world today, to believe that. You know, as Christians, that's what we affirm, that there is only one way. And every road does not lead to eternal life. No matter what religion you can name, you can name Islam, you could name, uh, you could name Judaism, you, you could name any cult that's out there. Whatever religion, if you're non-religious, if, you're, if you are good-intentioned and, and, you, and you have good intentions and, and, you, and, and, and all of those things that we try to believe in our world today, all of them, all those roads, the way that we want to go in our own ideas and our own thinking, they do not lead to the same destination. And in this prayer, Jesus affirms this. There's one true God. And I think one way to think about it, to, to, to illustrate this, is have you ever been flying? You guys ever been flying? Well, how about this? Have you ever been late for a flight? You've been late for a flight? I've been late for a flight very rarely because I I like to be on time early everywhere that I go. But there's been times where I've been rushed to get there. But but just imagine this. You're late for a flight and you're rushing to get to the airport. And you get there and, and, and you get through security and you're trying to find your gate. You're trying to go to Dallas, go to a Cowboys game, and you're trying to get there. You're getting it. And, and you try to find the closest airport attendant because you don't know what gate to go to. And you get to the airport attendant, and you're, you're all flustered. You're like, listen, I got three minutes to get to the, to, to, to the gate, to the door, to get on the plane. Which gate brings me to Dallas? And the attendant doesn't want to offend you, doesn't want to hurt your feelings to tell you that there's a really only one gate to get to Dallas, only one way to get to Dallas. So to, 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 to not offend you, to not hurt your feelings, the attendant says, hey, it doesn't matter what gate you go to. It'll all get you to the same destination. It's, it's okay, just, just whatever gate that you choose. So is that person loving or is that person hateful? That person is not loving. That person is hateful. There, there is only one gate to get to Dallas. Listen, we live in a world that doesn't want to believe in absolute truth. There is only one absolute truth. It is the reality in which we live in that God, and there's so many ways that, that, that we can see this. People don't want to believe that there are only two sexes in our 
world today. There is only a male and a female. That's all God created. There are, there are actually absolute truths in our world. But we live in a world that wants to throw off absolutes and have our own truth. Hey, I can go to gate B6 to get to Dallas, or I can go to gate B5. I can go wherever I want. I'm going to get there. Right? So it's not loving. It's not loving just to say that it doesn't matter how you live or what you believe. You can get there. Just go and do whatever you want to do. No, it's actually unloving. It's unloving. All the gates cannot be true at the same time. That's the point. All the gates cannot be true at the same time. So my question to you, when we think about, we think about the privilege that we have in Christ, that we have in Christ of eternal life and salvation, do you have the Son? First John says, to have the Son means you have eternal life. To have not the Son means you do not have life. So my question to you here today is, do you have the Son? Have you gone through the right gate? The way is broad that leads to destruction. Many are going that way because they don't want to be told that it's a narrow way. The way is narrow that leads to eternal life. The gate is narrow. Few be that find it. Have you found the Son? Have you found it? Do you believe in the one true God? You know, many, many people chase life outside of Christ. They look for real life, real satisfaction through temporary means. Listen, there is nothing in this created world that has the ability to fix the eternal whole that we all have apart from Christ. No false religious system, no form of meditation and yoga and, and, and all, the, all the, 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 the Eastern mysticism things that you could get involved in. There's no form outside of Christ, no thought outside of Christ. There's nothing in this temporary world that can fill the eternal hole that we all have in our heart. Do you have the Son? And if you have the Son, then you have everything. You have eternal life. You have hope. You have joy. You have peace. You have contentment. You have restoration. You have forgiveness. You have reconciliation. You have adoption. The one true God of creation has sent His Son, and He alone offers eternal life. And Jesus prays, Jesus prays, and this is eternal life. They, they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, His Son. The privilege of eternal life through being born again. In Christ, we have the privilege of new birth. And in Christ, we are kept secure. That's the, that's the next privilege. Secondly, in Christ, we are kept secure. First, we have the privilege of new birth. Secondly, in Christ, we are kept secure. Look at the next seven verses. Jesus continues his prayer. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you've given me is from you, for I've given them the words that you gave me, and they've received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name which you've given me. I have guarded them and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the Scripture might be fulfilled. Wow. 
<laughs> All I gotta say is wow here. So much to ponder here, and we're gonna have to save a bulk of it for next week when we talk about the prayers that Christ prays for us. But when we see what we see here, a couple things that stand out. Notice what Jesus says about the name of God. In Christ, we have the privilege of being born again, but also in Christ, we are kept secure in his name. Listen, Jesus prayed, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me. And then he says this, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me. Jesus is saying that he manifested or demonstrated the Father to those who were his. He says, I've manifested your name to them, to the world. Jesus demonstrated the nature of God. You want to know who God is? Look at Christ. Jesus is the exact image of the invisible God. Warren Wiersbe, commentator, puts it like this. Jesus did not instantly reveal the Father in a blaze of blinding glory because his disciples could not have endured that kind of experience. Gradually, by his words and his deeds, he revealed to them the nature of God as they were able to bear it. So as Jesus walked the earth, it was God in the flesh. Jesus was the exact rep representation of the eternal God. But notice next, Jesus says, keep them in your name. Keep them. What does that mean? It means to hold on to them. Guard them. Protect them. Did you notice in Jesus' prayer, he tells the Father, hey, I guarded them while I had them. I have, I've, I've had them, and, and, and I've guarded them. I've kept them in your name. But Holy Father, keep them. Guard them. You hear the compassion of the Son for his disciples? He knows that Peter's about to be tempted. He knows Peter's about to draw his sword because he believes that Jesus needs protection. He knows he's going to royally fail. He's going to deny him three times. Be intimidated by a servant girl. You feel the compassion for the disciples that Jesus has. He says, Holy Father, keep them. Guard them. Protect them. And what a, what a glorious truth and privilege we have in Christ. This is not just a prayer for them. This is a prayer for us. Keep them. He's praying for us. Guard them. We have a new name. We bear the family resemblance. We, we have been adopted into the family of God. We belong to the Father because of faith in Jesus Christ. We have been born again, and now we are His. We are kept in His name. Listen, and we can have assurance that when we are adopted, we are His. If Christ is praying then, He prayed then, and He is praying now as our high priest, keep them Guard them, you can be assured that the prayers of the Son of God are being heard. That we are being kept secure. That we are being kept secure in the palm of the Father's hand. Listen to John 1, verses 11 through 13. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of Blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Amen? How do you become a child of God? You know, not everyone's a child of God. There's a false belief in our world today. Everyone is a child of God. No, no, no. Everyone is made in the image of God and intrinsically valuable because they are created. But not everyone has been given the right to be called a child of God, to be adopted into the family of God. Only those who believe in the name of the Son. That's what First John says right there. That's John 1 says right there. Romans 8 alludes to that same picture too. We have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We've been adopted. We are saved through faith. We, we believed and received eternal life. We have the privilege of eternal life. And 
And now adoption. Adoption gives us rights and privileges. Privileges of a son or a daughter. Romans 8 continues to describe those privileges. And if children, if adopted, then, then heirs. We are heirs. We inherit. And heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So in Christ, we're kept secure. We're His. We have a new name. We are adopted into the family of God. We have His name. We are secure in Him. Listen, He will not let us go. He will not let us go. No one can overpower God. Do you belong to Christ today? Have you placed your faith in Jesus? Yeah? He's not going to let you go. He's got a hold of you. You are secure in Him. The Son has prayed to the Father. The Son is praying to the Father. Holy Father, keep them in Your name. You're in His grip. You are secure in Him. Satan can't overpower Him. No one can overpower Him. Satan can't snatch you from your adoption. Listen, not even you can snatch yourself out of adoption. Our Lord's commitment to us as His children is eternal. It's eternal. Is your salvation eternal or is it temporary? Is it eternal or is it temporary? When, when you're saved, are you, are you saved for six months, for a year, for two years, for five years, for ten years? Or is your salvation, has it been paid for for eternity? You can talk back to me. Amen. Eternity. You know, some, some people ask the question, well, what about Judas? What about Judas? What happened to Judas? Here's what I think about Judas. Judas is an example of an unbeliever who pretended to have salvation but was finally exposed as a fraud. Listen, Jesus keeps all whom the Father gives to Him. He keeps them. Our Lord will keep us. What a privilege. He'll keep us. He will keep us by His power. Some of you are trying to be kept by your own power. Trying to be kept by your own power. You're trying to hold on as tightly as you can by your own power. The Lord's got you. Kind of like this. Father and a son walking down the street. You're on a sidewalk and it's next to a road and there's traffic coming by. And as they're walking down the road, cars come in their direction and swerving and running, moving towards them. And the father grabs the hand of the three-year-old son. The three-year-old son grabs his hand and rescues the boy. The father grabs the young boy's hand and keeps him from danger. So the question is this, with that picture in mind, does the safety of the boy depend on the strength of his three-year-old grip? Listen, if the boy's safety depends on the strength of his grasp on his father's hand, he is in grave danger. Because he could lose his grip and wander off into the path of that car. But here's the truth that we're talking about here this morning. Here's the privilege we have in Christ, His keeping power. What keeps the child from destruction is not the boy's grip on the father's hand, but is the father's grip on the boy's hand. Because his hand is bigger, his hand is larger, his hand has more stickum to it. It's an eternal super glue. He's got us. Listen, if you don't believe me, listen to John 10. 28 through 30, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Amen? What a privilege. 
What a glorious privilege. Yes, we're born again and we have eternal life. And what a privilege that is to know that we have been saved, we've been redeemed, we've been born again. What a privilege to know that we are in our Father's hands. Listen, He's not done with us. He will complete the work He began in us. He's not done with you. He's not finished yet. You're a, a masterpiece. That he's working for the praise of his glory. He's chiseling and he's working and he's sanctifying and he's making more like his son. But he's got you in his hand and he's going to keep you. He's going to sustain you. He's going to continue to work in you so that you would glorify his son, so that you would be used for his glory. What a great privilege to, to, to know that we are in his grasp. Psalm 139. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I? Flee from your presence. If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and I'm trying to, I'm trying to run, I'm trying to run, trying to get away, trying to get away, trying to run from God. If I take the wings in the morning and I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Amen. It's good news. I love the song. I don't know if any of you have heard it's a great song called he will hold me fast written by the gettys listen to these words to this song he will hold me fast when i fear my faith will fail christ will hold me fast when the tempter would prevail he will hold me fast i could never keep my hold through life's fearful path for my love is often cold he must hold me fast those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight, he will hold me fast. Amen? I mean, when you ponder things like that, you just got to say something like Jude, but Jude says, you just got to say this now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. And to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. That's all. That's all you can say. Now to him. Now to him who is able to keep us. Now to him be glory. Now to him be praise. Thank you, God, that you saved me. Thank you, God, that you keep me. In Christ, here are the privileges. We are born again. We have eternal life. And in Christ, we are kept secure. And Jesus is pointing to this reality in his prayer. He's pointing there's only one true God. And he is the, the only true son of God. And only through, through God, the Father's gift of eternal life through the Son. And He keeps us secure. And He's praying, Holy Father, keep them in Your name. And these are the privileges. And, and then He continues. As we look at the third privilege here this morning in Christ, not only are we born again and kept secure, but in Christ we have access to divine truth. We have access to divine truth. Look back to the text. This is the last section we're going to look at here this morning. Look back to John 17, verse 13 and 14. But now I'm coming to you. Jesus says, hey, it's my time. These things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So notice what Jesus says. He says, I've given them your word. What, what, what does that mean? It means Jesus has given his disciples, the, the, the 11 
disciples, the 12 disciples, he'd given them the words of the Father. Notice what the Gospels say about Jesus. John chapter 12, for, for Jesus said, For I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. So when Jesus is praying to the Father in John 17, and, and he's saying, Father, listen, I've given them your word. This is what he means. You've told me what to say. You've told me what to speak. You've given me divine revelation. I have spoken your words to them. What a great privilege. Jesus is saying that the Father gave me words to say, and I've given them your words. In essence, he's saying, I've given my disciples divine revelation from the Father. Jesus was the Word made flesh. He was divine revelation in flesh, the general revelation, the, the, the special revelation of God. But he also spoke divine revelation. You know what's interesting about the fact that Jesus is saying he gave the disciples, the words of divine revelation from the Father, is that only believers can understand the Word of God. Only believers. Do you know Jesus spoke in parables? Did you remember when you read through the Gospels, you read through the Gospels, Jesus speaks in parables. Because only believers, this is a privilege that we have access to divine truth, and we see that through the life of Christ. And, and the, the disciples question Jesus. Why do you speak in parables? Look at Matthew 13. Then the, the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. This is a picture of the privilege that we have in Christ. We have been born again to eternal life. We are being kept secure by the Father. And we have been given access to divine truth. The world cannot bear to, to hear truth. You know, you look at John chapter 8. Jesus rebukes the Pharisees. And it culminates in them saying that he is of the devil. But listen to what Jesus says in John 8, 45 to that group of non-believers. He says, because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. In essence, what Jesus is saying there is if I lied to you, you'd believe me. Non-believers can't tolerate the truth. They don't want to hear the truth. Only those in the kingdom of God have divine truth. Only believers, only those who are disciples can comprehend the word of God. Paul alluded to that too. The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Spiritual things must be discerned spiritually. So, so we have access. This is a great privilege. We have access to divine truth. What an amazing privilege that in, in Christ, we can have truth. In a world that's looking for truth, in a world that's trying to create their own truth, we can actually have truth because it is centered in Christ. We're not searching for the ultimate truth and meaning in life. We have it. Are you a believer here today? You have it. Your eyes are open. We have the answers to the big questions in life. I love what Paul David Tripp says about this. He says, it alludes to the fact that when you have the Word of God, the light has come on in your life. He says this, you don't need to bloody your nose and bruise your toes by bumping into trees and tripping over roots. You don't have to grope around fearfully in the darkness. The light of the world has graced you with the light of His Word. It will shine around your feet in the midst of the darkness so that, so that you need not stumble and fall. Wow, what a privilege. We have the Word of God. Through the Word of God, the light has come on. Do you remember that moment when you begin to see the world differently? 
when you were born again? You begin, you, you be, you begin to have a biblical-centered worldview. You begin to see the world through the Word of God. The light came on. It began to click. You begin to understand, well, wait a minute. I, I, I was created in the, in the image of God. I have unique purpose and calling, and, and Christ died for me, and, and, and now I'm forgiven. I'm born again, and you had a hunger for the Word of God. The, the, the light came on. You, you, you could see and understand the world differently because the light had come on. You didn't have to stumble anymore looking for purpose or meaning. The light had come on. What about lights? Who created the light bulb? Do you know? Do you know? Yeah, Thomas Edison, right? Thomas, in 1879, Thomas Edison invented an incandescent light bulb that could last for 13 hours. How many of you need more than 13 hours of light? Your house. But he created a light bulb that could last for 13 hours. Listen, 1879. But most Americans still lit their homes with gas lamps for another 50 plus years after he created a light bulb that could last for 13 hours. Listen, in 1925, only half of U.S. homes had electricity. 1925. So I'd ask you a question today in 2024. How many light bulbs do you have in your house? Have you counted them lately? I counted mine last night at 11 p.m. <laughs> I'm serious. Joel can attest. He was wondering what I was doing. I was walking around the house. I'm, I'm looking up. I'm counting. He, he asked me, what are you doing? I said, it's something for tomorrow. So I'm counting. I'm trying not to forget light bulbs. I'm looking under. We have light bulbs. We have light bulbs everywhere. Light bulbs to see in the house. We have light bulbs under our kitchen cabinets. Right? We're looking under our cabinets. I'm counting the light bulbs. Going around. I'm thinking about outside. Thinking about everywhere. We have approximately 72 light bulbs. In our house. And you probably have around the same. You know, I have two light bulbs that are outside. They're outside lights, floodlights. They're by my garage. I put them in over almost five, five years ago now, since we've been in that house. They have never gone off. <laughs> 13 hours? 24 hours a day. It's because it's on a completely on switch. There's no switch. It's, it's on steady on. And I didn't get an electrician to come change it. So they're just on. I'm waiting. When, when are they going to die? I don't know. But you know what is true about the 72 light bulbs and the 24-hour for five-year light bulbs I have outside my house? I can tell you this for, for sure is that I take that privilege for granted. I take the fact that I have light for granted. How do I know that? We'll let a hurricane fly by. Take it for granted. We take it for granted. So what about us here today when we think about the Word of God? Has the Word of God been lost on us? We have the greatest privilege to have the big answers to life through the Word of God. To have purpose and meaning and healing and forgiveness and restoration to know right from wrong, to, know, to understand when you look at the, cha the chaos of our world and you see all the directions everyone is running apart from Christ, we can be centered. We can have a foundation. We can know what is right and wrong and true and pleasing to God. Has the Word of God been lost to us? Have we lost the wonder of the Word? Have we lost the appreciation for the value and the power of the Word of God? Has familiarity bred contempt? Because here's the truth. The Word is a lamp and a light. And you need light. You need light for your marriage and your parenting. 
You need light for your struggles with desires and temptations. Here's the truth. You need light to help you deal with the unexpected. You need light to cope with new difficulties that emerge. You need light to deal with the weaknesses of the body and hardships of the heart. You need light for all those unknowns that will show up on your doorstep tomorrow and the day after tomorrow and for the rest of your life. You need the light of the Word of God that is a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. What a, what a marvelous privilege. And the Father, Jesus prays, Father, I have given them Your Word. What marvelous privileges. We are born again to eternal life. And we are kept secure in the Father's grip. He will not let us go. He will not lose us. Not one will be lost of all that are His. And He's given us His Word. And Jesus is praying in John 17. In that prayer, we are reminded of these privileges. Privileges of being a child of God. So my question as we end here this morning is this. Is there anything? We've been to the Holy of Holies in John 17. We've we've pondered the, the, the depth of this high priestly prayer. Is there anything in this life more compelling than these realities. Look, I think Dallas is going to make the playoffs. Well, they are. I think they've been secured. But is, is there anything in this life? Dallas Cowboys, Northern Saints, LSU, PGA Tour Golf, the Masters Golf Tournament, is there anything more compelling in this life than these realities? The privileges we have in Christ, is there anything that has, that has, that has caused our eyes to lose the shine and the shimmer and the glory of the privileges we have in Christ? You remember where we started this message? Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift, is there anything in this life more compelling than these realities? For some people, Taylor Swift is more compelling than being born again, than being kept secure in the Father's grip, than having the eternal Word of God to be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. There are some people in this life that would give their right arm to be in the room with Taylor Swift. Many people would feel like their status was elevated if they had her phone number in their phone. Privilege. Access. You know, the truth is, is Taylor Swift, just like everyone else in this world, just like everyone else, she is broken. She is flawed. Just like us, she is in need of a Savior. Her star will fade. Her time will come to an end. And her money will run out. Eventually. She's got a lot of it. Right? It's all going to end one day. Is there anything in this life that is greater than the privileges that we have in Christ? Is there anything? The point is this. Here's the point. The whole message. May there never be any earthly possession or person that shines so brightly in our heart that we lose the wonder of who Christ is and all that He has done for us. Amen.